something is wrong, and it's time to stand up. You are listening to the John A. Show. Trust no one. Trust no one. Trust no one. You found it. You're here. You're headlong down the runaway train that is the Anomic Age, and I'm your host, John H. Thanks for being with us again today, not in the wee hours of the a.m. for once, but in the not-so-wee hours of the p.m., so thanks for being with us. Please check out anomicage.com if you've not already done so. Like all the likes, subscribe to all the subscriptions, share those links, friends, family, loved ones, and enemies. You can scroll all the way down there to the bottom, sign up for the free newsletter, Free iPhone app, free Android app, and the most important stuff, if you like what I do and want to help out at all, paypal.me forward slash anomicage, patreon.com forward slash anomicage as well. You can find those those links on whatever you happen to be listening to and or watching this on. I have a great guest today, so I don't want to miss a second of this. Mr. David Laird is with us today. David is the owner of Dynamic Combative Solutions, LLC, and the host of Armed Republic Radio. He's a follower of Jesus Christ, a husband of 20 years, father of seven children, and grandfather of two. David has studied martial arts since the age of 10, is a 10th generation Army veteran serving with the 82nd Airborne Division, and has volunteered for the Maricopa Sheriff's Department for four years. He's an NRA training counselor, NRA caring guard instructor, and is an active self-protection certified instructor. David is with us today. Thank you so much, David. Let me bring up. Thank you so much for being with us. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm doing pretty good given all the circumstances of, I don't know, the toilet bowl that we're living in right now. Every morning, it's like there's a new flush. What the hell is that? <laughs> yeah. It does really seem to be, I mean, I always just call it kind of the global satanic death cult. I mean, that's every day. It's like, man, what what kind of horrible, egregious, you know. It's like drag- walking out to your driveway and your car wrecked. Like, yeah, in this exactly. Like, where did that come from? It hasn't moved in a week. Like, I don't understand. This is my car anymore. What's going on? That's the truth, man. It's getting worse and worse, it seems, out there anyway. Well, uh, the the egregious attack on the Second Amendment is kind of the, the talk du jour, but I know from your perspective and your experience, you, you've done so much with firearms, so much as far as martial arts training, just self-protection training, and, and I thought you'd be the perfect person to talk to. Thanks so much for uh, Cheryl Todd getting us together. But, uh, I, yeah, yeah take it away. <laughs> She's my biggest cheerleader. I, I love her to death. Um, she's been such an invaluable friend. Um, I've known of her for a long time, but when I started my business back in 2019, uh, she needed help on a project of some kind. And uh, I, I love seeing what she's doing uh, with women in America and the shooting sports and stuff like that. I, there's so many amazing women involved in the, the Second Amendment right now. So many great groups, uh, like you know, a girl in a gun and uh, the well-armed woman. Uh, just recently changed her name, but I've known Carrie Lightfoot since, since she started um, and have tried to help her with her platform uh, back in the day when she first got started. So, yeah, you know, everybody right now, the emotions are running high and uh, we see a lot of emotional knee-jerk reaction and we see where our national media attention is going and where the uh, social media attention is going. And I, it's programs like yours and mine and Cheryl's. It seems like that's the only place where you can get uh, uh, a different opinion now. You know, like they, they're pushing one agenda, they're pushing one narrative, and you have to go out and search side channels to find, you know, information to, to help uh, combat this propaganda going on. We've forgotten who we are as a nation. It's gotten ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of the the central problem. We've gotten farther and further away from God. We've gotten further and further away from those 
founding father principles, which they do their best to demonize, you know, all throughout the, the cults of academia. So, I mean, it's, it's always, it's not surprising to me when we, when we have these, these uh, years, decades, like we've been having, cause I'm like, well, look, I mean, the, the kids are indoctrinated to hate themselves, hate America, hate who they are, hate all this stuff. And then they come out 12 years of indoctrination and you expect them not to be the, the messed up people that they are. So it's pretty sad, but definitely for, further away from God, further away from those those founding principles for sure. Well, I can say as a parent, um, I have been actively involved. My wife and I both have been actively involved in our children's education. That's one of the most important things. Um, I remember when I was a kid sitting at the dinner table and people were impressed um, that my parents didn't excuse us from the table when the adult conversation started. You know, we were quiet when it was time to be quiet. People asked us for our opinion. Even as children, we, we would give it. And one of the biggest compliments I remember even as a child uh, was, you know, wow, your kids are so well-behaved, etc. And my wife and I experienced that raising our children because we kind of had the same practice, that our kids aren't really kids. They're adults in training. And so exposing them to the adult dilemmas, conversations, answering questions, involving them in politics, beliefs, things like that, and then allowing them to explore um, their politics, their, their beliefs, um, so that, I mean, we just don't create free thinkers anymore. You know, they go to school, and you, you no longer research information and write a report on the information that you researched to expose what it was you discovered and why you've based your opinion off of what it was you discovered. Now it's, here's the facts, and I want to report on these facts and these facts alone. And if you don't report it that way, then, you know, you get a failing grade. So, you know, I'm blessed that our kids, I've got uh, two years left with my kids, and then the last one's flying the cuckoo's nest. <clears throat> oh, man. Um, it's It's been a real struggle, and I would say that these last two have been the hardest out of the bunch. Um, because they come home, you know, telling me about the culture of the kids, mm -hmm. um, the stuff that they do on social media, the, the way that they dress, the way that they speak, uh, the way they parrot politics directly off of the internet or off of the news without any knowledge of the subject, because my kids will question, well, you know, what, what makes you have that opinion or why do you think that way? And then the kids just parrot more slogans and, um, I know you and I have both run into that when you, in casual conversation. I'm sure many Americans have. Is there's no fact behind the parroted comments. It's just these are assault rifles. Nobody needs to own assault rifles. Yeah. Okay. What makes it, what makes it an assault rifle? The fact that it's fully automatic. It does all this. It's like well, it doesn't do that. And nobody needs it. it it's they, there's no factual evidence with anything they say. It's just parroted comments. It's it's amazing. <laughs> I mean, it's a weird thing that I always sort of mention, but when I was a kid and I was a lot younger, I used to see bumper stickers, slogans, you know, and they're they're still out there, but I used to see question authority all the time. Yeah. And I always say, I don't see those anymore. And I think that's kind of a telling, you know, canary in the coal mine. I don't think anybody's questioning anything. It's just sort of the pablum they get fed from from the talking heads, from the peers and so forth. And I raised my, my daughter the same as you just mentioned your kids and I grew up that same way where, I mean, I spent a lot of time with adults. I spent a lot of time with my grandfather, a lot of time with my dad and uncles and stuff like that growing up. So, I mean, yeah, I hung out with kids and did the usual play, playing war and playing hide and seek and all that jazz. But, you know, it was a lot of time spent with adults and with those, those, those men, you know, as a man, I, I spent a lot of time with, with men and they would tinker around in the garage and fix cars and build anything you know i always looked at my grandfather like that he could fix anything and my dad the same way and and i just don't know if that's there anymore and i talked about that in one of my most recent episodes i, I mentioned this notion of imprinting where we learn so much from our parents and so much from those grandparents and family members and i feel like at least the pulse i get out there now is i don't know if people just don't want to be parents anymore or what but i think you know, so many times I hear these conversations where like, well, we're sending the kids to camp for three weeks and they're going to this other camp for four weeks and then they're doing this sport and that sport and 10 other sports. So I'm like, when are you hanging out with the kids? Like, when are you doing that one-on-one, -on -one, let's fix the, 
the lawnmower. Let's let's build this bookshelf. Let's go hiking in the woods. Let's go camping. I mean, when are you doing that sort of thing? I just feel like that's kind of, and again, just anecdotal, my own opinion. I feel like that's kind of going by the wayside. And I think we're seeing the proof in the pudding of that with these people that are in this up-and-coming generation, if you will. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I hope it is. Um, no, I mean, what what I see really is is laziness. And yeah. I, I don't think for a lot of Americans uh, it's intentional. Like, hard-working Americans are getting up every morning and they're doing the best they can to get the kids prepped for school. And they're getting them out the door and they're taking them to the school. They're doing the best they can with the school options that are within proximity of where they live. Um, but there is a lack of involvement, um, being able to make the time we have kind of a, a broken home system, you know, Mm -hmm. it's being encouraged now that everything's equal. Okay. That, you know, men and women are equal and in many respects they are. Okay. But there's still, uh, there's still a, a role for the father in every family, there's still a role for the mother in every family. And society as a whole is, is sort of tearing apart of that fabric that we've been used to for so long now. And it's become just the norm, you know, mm-hmm. like, you, you know, you don't have to tolerate this, you don't have to tolerate that, just leave, just quit, just throw in the towel. And you, you don't have a, a strong working family dynamic. There, there isn't any cohesiveness going on. Um, and it's, it's making the, the whole home life difficult for co-parenting, and then the involvement in the school, everybody can, I mean, nobody trusts government and nobody trusts the school system, but what are you, what are you doing to actively participate and make changes in it? So I don't understand why they turn to the school system and say, Hey, what are you guys doing to fix this? Or turning to government and asking them, Hey, what are you doing to fix this? Um, I, I want to just reach out to parents and strangle and be like, what are you doing to fix this? Whatever the school isn't fixing, you can still fix at home regardless of whatever it is they're trying to propagate to your kids, you can fix it at home. Cause my kids would come home, we'd research and study the subject they're supposed to write on. And I, and you know, they'd, they'd learn all the facts about it and they're like, yeah, but I can't turn that paper in. I have to turn this one in in order to pass. I said, then that's what you have to do uh, to pass. So turn in the paper that they want, but I want to make sure that you, you understand this other side of everything so that you're not missing out on the whole education of it. I think that's so true, and it's true at the college and university too, where there's so much of this. We just got to turn this in to to get by the the communist nonsense. Basically, like we got to turn in this paper that says, "Oh yeah, we believe in evolution 100 percent. It's great." And yeah, those darn men, I tell you, they're just fouling the whole world up. I mean, but it's so sad that you've got to, you know, like you said, you've got to kind of double teach the kids. Okay, this is reality, and this is their distorted Alice in Wonderland through the looking glass perspective. Well, of we reality. were. For- I, I was fortunate because um, my wife is a nurse. My sister is a school teacher. She's an elementary school teacher. Um, and um, so my wife, of course, researched a, a lot into the schools before we ever got the kids enrolled, and she ended up uh, getting them enrolled in a charter school, which was awesome and amazing. Um, it would have only been cooler if it was like Christian based. Um, but the charter school was very active. I mean, parents had to take their kids to school, had to pick their kids up from school. And you guys know that like, mm-hmm. you know, the school has a half day or something like that, that that screws up your norm. You know, you got to find a way to get a parent there to pick the kids up. So we did that and we actually worked with, uh, some of the kids, friends, parents, you know, that we take turns picking each other's kids up and drop them off at their house, et cetera. If it was a half day, um, so that we're not always having to do everything all the time, but there's so much involvement from the parents and um, it was really neat. Like the parents would be volunteering every day in the classroom. So there was never anything, any subject being covered that parents weren't aware of. And they didn't have, they didn't have a high school program when they started that I think right when they got to about high school years, they started one, but it was really small. So my kids opted to go to, public high school and what a cult and, and that's what they wanted they wanted more social interaction and i was like all right fine mm-hmm. um, that was one of the big things that really shocked them when they got there was there were so many more kids that went there there is no parent interaction uh, at that school and teachers say some really off the wall stuff 
my daughter recently came home and said, you know, my history teacher, we're, we're talking about various wars. And uh, he went into a tirade about how all we did was kill babies in Vietnam, how we didn't belong there, that, you know, and just got into all the war crime stuff. <laughs> uh, and uh, so and she's like, and I know that grandpa served in, in Vietnam. And I was like, yeah, you and grandpa need to sit down and talk because, I mean, there, there's real history from a guy who was on the ground that can tell you exactly what was going on. Uh, I've got a friend who's a local state senator who is a um, uh, was born in South Vietnam. His parent, his dad, his uncle, and his brother all served in the South Vietnamese military, and he is a huge proponent of American Second Amendment. And he does an amazing job talking about his life growing up, surviving uh, Cambodia, and escaping to the United States. Um, and so getting my daughter exposed to that firsthand knowledge from, you know, a U.S. service member and also uh, a South Vietnamese survivor mm-hmm. who can speak to, you know, that that angle. Um, yeah, so it's far different from what they're teaching in schools and, and what they're trying to push in schools. And so, like, that's like a real big thing that I, I want to try and be more involved with um, here because I really feel like we're shaping the future. And if we don't control what we put in front of our kids, just like video games and everything else, if you're not in control of that, if you don't know where they're getting the information from, if you don't know where they're learning it from, um, then you, you know, don't be surprised if you're shocked when they turn 18 and they're nothing like you. Yeah. I mean, I've said this before too, but you know, if you don't want to have that conversation and you don't want to, to sort of fill in these gaps, rest assured somebody else will, and it probably won't be the, the right person. It'll be that, you know, and God only knows. Well, it's, who's going to teach your kid about firearm safety? Yeah. Should be you. Who's going to teach your kid about drugs? Should be you. Who's going to teach your kid about marriage? And what example are you setting for your kids when it comes to marriage? I mean, do they see that you and your spouse have a loving relationship that, you know, it's okay to fight. It's okay to be imperfect. But do they see conflict resolution at home and how, how to do it, you know, properly? Mm-hmm. Um, are you setting the, the right examples, you know? And I hate to say it, but I'm a screw-up, and I make all <laughs> sorts of mistakes, all right? I'm right uh, there with you. <laughs> my wife's a strong enough woman that she can be like, okay, yeah, you're not you're not fighting fair, so let's just go ahead and fix that real quick. <laughs> um, you know, um, so... You know, that's that's one of my big things. And then when we see things like this shooting down in Texas, let's look at the kid's social life. Um, dad came forward to speak, but I, I mean, I heard little to nothing at all about him in the media. We heard mom has a drug addiction problem that they were staying with her parents. Mm-hmm. And the son and mother had a, you know, a dynamic where they're constantly headbutting. The police are getting called. Grandma ends up kicking mom out of the house. No one knows that he owns firearms. This kid had about $9,000 in firearms, optics, ammunition, magazines, multiple purchases, going through multiple federal background checks. Never once was he reported for any kind of uh, interaction in law enforcement or any kind of mental health. Uh, So everybody looked at his behavior even at school, and saw that that was the norm, okay? So the fact that we don't have greater problems right now, looking at a child like that that did a thing like this and looking back on his behavior going, oh, you know what, now that I think about it, this was a little out of place, that was a little out of place, I could have done something. Imagine having to live with that the rest of your life, um, that you could have reported that xyz behavior that you spotted that you just chalked up to well that's how all kids are nowadays yeah that 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 can't be acceptable you know and i mean so, i'm not i'm not trying to make this a father's thing but that's the common denominator that we're seeing with virtually every single mass shooter i mean along with being on some sort of pharmaceutical ssri inhibitors the other commonality is there's no father in the home or it's, it's little to no father interaction. I mean, going back from Columbine to Sandy Hook to Aurora to the Pulse nightclub, I mean, it's all like, are we not seeing a common common factor? Well, yeah, so I grew up in a warrior household, 
Okay. I grew up knowing my family history. My mom's side of the family came over here in the late 1400s, settled in Western Pennsylvania from Scotland. My father's side of the family came here in 1630 and settled in South Carolina, also from Scotland. So we have our family history traced back to Charlemagne and before then to Jesus Christ, um, certain branches. Um, so I, I know exactly where my heritage is from. I know exactly who served and which war campaign when throughout all of U.S. history from the French and Indian Wars to present day. Mm-hmm. We miss Korea and Panama. Um, and I believe that, again, you know, with sexes being equal but different, I feel that one of the things that we see a pattern in all men when they're born is they have an aggressive nature. Okay, And that needs to be bred in a healthy manner versus an unhealthy manner. And we look back even at the 70s and 80s when we grew up, you could see that there were kids who were bullies, right? Oh, yeah. And they come from a home of bullies. And they're simply acting out what they saw at home at school, you know? And usually the bullies really just needed a friend or someone to talk to, right? And none of us wanted to be a friend to talk to the bully. That's right. And if enough people stood up to the bully and said, hey, look, we're not going to accept that behavior anymore, the bully would have to change his behavior. Be like, look, you don't have to be a jerk to have friends. If, you, if it's friends you need, this is the attitude, etc. Um, so, I mean, even at a young age, my kids, you know, playing video games, it's a healthy outlet if you invest in uh, doing it healthy. So, um, I did a lot of travel, and I want to be able to stay in contact with my kids. And you know, kids, technology's changed a lot. Like, you couldn't do the face-to-face phone time stuff that yeah. you can nowadays. Back in my day, just internet was a new thing. I got all my kids involved with Call of Duty because it didn't matter where I was. I could log in online. I could play Call of Duty with my kids. Mm-hmm. And so while we're busy playing the game and the adventure, clearing buildings and, and shooting at each other and stuff, we could talk to each other like, hey, how was school today? Oh, man, it was great. We, know we did this. We did that. You know, how was work today? Oh, it was great. You know, I you know did X, Y, or Z, whatever. So it was a great way for us to be in contact, but they were always the hero of the video game. You know, I always chose games where uh, that they were the heroes, that they were the good guys, and that they were fighting evil um, along that mindset. So, like, Grand Theft Auto was, like, forbidden in my house forever and ever and ever. And then my youngest boy finally approached me, I think, when he was, like, 12 years old. He was like, hey, Dad, he's like, uh, can I get Grand Theft Auto? And I was like, tell me why you want the video game. He's like, listen, he's like, you know, I know that, you know, all this other stuff is bad. He's like, but I've played video games for years and I understand that it's fake. And, you know, even though you can do these things in the game, it's really not that big of a deal. And, you know, I'm not that's not going to make me alter my behavior. And the deal was it's like, well, okay, since you can articulate that, I'll go ahead and get it. But if your behavior changes, if your grades change, then the game has to go away. And he ended up getting the game and then got me addicted to it. And then him and I were running around playing missions on it. I was like, oh, man, now there's another video game I'm addicted to. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think boys need to have that strong male figure at home so they understand what it means to be a man. They need to see that, uh, you know, you can be a strong, aggressive male but still be soft and nurturing when it comes to your spouse or when it comes to your daughter mm-hmm. who I – I raise and treat very differently. I've always raised her to believe that any man that wants to date you is applying for my job. That's right. And so he, he has to be able to provide. He has to already own a house. He has to already have a job. He already has to have a savings. Like when he comes in and says, hey, I want to date you, he has to already have those things in place. Otherwise, he's not competent. He's not qualified. And if he doesn't ask me for permission to take you on a date, then he doesn't have the, uh, the courage, in my opinion, to protect you while you're on the date. Because if, you know, talking to dad scares him, then, you know, that's that's a big red flag for me. Mm-hmm. And I'm fortunate that, you know, my kids have really taken that to heart. We have a really great relationship. Uh, to this day, we still sit and, you know, five, ten minutes, catch up on each other's day and share everything going on. Uh, my daughter can't go to bed at night without coming to me first and telling me, you know, about the new, new boy she's looking at at school or whatever. It's, <laughs> uh, it's cringeworthy, but, you know, that's all right. scary, yeah. Right. But I think you're so spot on in, in just the importance of that father figure in both the, the male and the female, uh, you know, the children, the, the daughters and the, the sons. I mean, that's so crucial because good grief. I mean, kind of like you were saying, man, I've made a whole lot of mistakes in my past. And and looking back on some of those relationships, it's so obvious, like, oh, man, they didn't have a good father. They didn't have a good father. And it, it breeds this sort of 
I mean, problematic on many different levels, but relationships and just problems with the self and problems with dealing with others. I mean, you can you can spot them a mile away now, or at least I can, anyways. <laughs> yeah. Well, and um, I had a I had a sister in law for a long time who uh, was divorced and was doing the whole dating thing, and you know she had two boys, you know my nephews, and mm-hmm. dad wasn't like really in the picture, and so I did my best with both of them to. Um, to be that male figure because I understood how important that was for them. And um, that's where one of my seven comes from because when he turned 18, he's like, uh, he surprised me on Christmas two years ago. He, he came to me with uh, his official name change. He uh, adopted me as his dad and changed his name and everything. So that was, Jeez, uh, that's pretty heavy. Thing. Yeah. I was like, dude, like that's a huge, huge honor, you know, to, for that. So I, and and to this day, you know, he's he's my black sheep. He still struggles, you know, <laughs> and cracks me up. But uh, good, good-hearted kid. And uh, you know, I I see so many kids in that situation, though. You know, friends that uh, my, my son has, uh, parents divorced, both alcoholics, drug addicts, etc. And uh, neither one of them really paying any attention to the kids, you know. And then they get angry and upset when the kid makes a mistake or messes up. And um, I think it's kind of hypocritical that you you know your whole life's falling apart, and whatever it is that this kid did doesn't compare to the the level of your life falling apart. Like, who are you to say that you know? Does that make sense? Like, oh it's just... yeah, I mean that's exactly what we got going on. I think it's kind of this absentee landlord thing, and I think it starts at the house and then it trickles into the state and the country or the city or what have you, where it's like somebody else will fix this. You know, I'll give them to the school and they'll take care of this parenting gig, and I can just. You know, sit around and smoke weed and drink beers and watch the game and play on my device and post on social media. And then, holy cow, like, what, my daughter's doing this at school or my my son's doing this? I mean, come on. Yeah. And, I mean, we want to try and do – I mean, every firearm owner is equally upset about what happened in Texas. You know, all of Mm -hmm. us are looking there, and we see that they had a lot of programs in place. They had school resource officers. They had – a quick response time by the local law enforcement. Um, so why wasn't this over sooner? Yeah. And most of the conservatives were, were the folks that tend to take a seat, you know, a step back and we're like, well, let's wait for the rest of the facts to come out and all this sort of stuff. And it's the other side that's being, you know, super loud. They, they've had their agenda waiting in the wings to push forward. So I really feel like it's just time for Americans to say enough is enough those little minor things all across the board that we've, you know, set aside that we need to we need to be prepared and ready to start implementing those things. We need to start becoming actively involved in those things. Uh, we need to control each one of our individual states, and that's kind of like my mission this year is to be more involved in with the state elections and who's being elected and what their true ambitions are, and help educate local residents because once we have control of our state. Then and only then can we start pushing the federal government around. Mm-hmm. If we don't have control of our state, then you know there's no there's no voice for you in Washington at all. And I think one of those key things is they want to keep everybody divided. I, I love what you were kind of saying in the beginning when you were mentioning that there's so many women involved in Second Amendment, and there's just there's people from so many different walks of life. I think stereotypically they always frame it as a stereotypical. It's this white male, he's in the country, he's rural, and, and so forth and so on. I mean, some of those stereotypes are, are warranted, but, I mean, what they don't want to tell you is there's a lot of black Americans. There's a lot of Mexican and Asian and, I mean, any walk of life. I mean, one of the few bright spots here in North Carolina is our own uh, Mark Robinson, our lieutenant mm-hmm. governor, who I think spoke in Texas at the NRA event just a few weeks ago and just lit it up. I mean, I love what he's bringing to the table. I wish... To God, he was our governor, and I hope we can make that happen one day. But, I mean, there's just so much so much out there that they don't want you to see. They don't want you to see that there's there's all walks of life that are involved in this, you know, quest for freedom, in this quest for liberty, in the, the retention of the Bill of Rights, Second Amendment, First, and, and on down the line. I, th- I think what, what you're—I think, honestly, if you look across America on almost every avenue, the— the proportions of everything are equal to what's in that area. So 
you're going to see a lot of Hispanic Americans here in office. You're going to see a lot of Hispanic Americans in the schools. Um, and you're going to see a lot of them patrolling the streets and law enforcement. Like when I worked for NCSO during the whole time that they were complaining that uh, NCSO is, is targeting illegal immigrants and targeting Hispanics. Um, I, I worked predominantly on a department full of Hispanics and they were probably the most anti-illegal immigration group of, of officers because um because of their history, their background, their family, that how hard they had to work to get here, et cetera, multi-generational culture, you know? So here in Arizona, when we talk about like our border security issues and stuff, you know, we talk to our friends and neighbors. It's not like we are just at home and we watch the news and we're like, you know, Oh, well, we just, we just hate this group for whatever reason. No, we're, we're getting that, that, uh, that information from our own local community telling us like, Hey, we don't like that either. Um, but to your point, uh, you know, the well-armed women originated here out of Arizona. Um, a girl in a gun originated out of Texas. Um, there's a lot of strong women getting involved in these sports. We have a group here, uh, several groups here for, for Jews that can shoot. Cracks me up. Yeah. Um, we've seen, we've seen the, uh, LGBTQ, uh, groups, uh, that are extremely pro gun throughout the United States. Um, and, there's a, a few of the uh, African-American or, or black groups that shoot. Here in Arizona, I really don't feel like racism exists. Like, if there's one or two nutheads out there that do it, I've grown up here my whole life. And, and honestly, it's it's never been an issue in Arizona throughout my whole life growing up. You know, every single person here, I feel anyway, gets judged by your character and your actions, not what color of skin you have. Yeah. Um, so to have all these people you know, causing all this division. And I'll, I'll be honest. I, I think most conservatives don't care what you do in your home. That's right. Like, I, I mean, I mean, I don't understand the purpose of government being involved in, in marriage whatsoever. I don't want them involved in my marriage any more than I'm sure you want them involved in yours, but I, I don't run around talking about it. It doesn't matter. I, I don't want to know that. That's whatever you want to do. It's fine. Um, so the, the fact that they're bringing all these issues to light and they're, they're just keeping everybody distracted and, uh, pinning neighbor against neighbor, um, is just ridiculous. Yeah. I think you just nailed it. I think distraction is the name of the game. I mean, I've said many times, it's kind of like weapons of mass distraction where they just, Oh, look over here while they, they slip this bill in and slip that bill in and so forth. And yeah, kind of like you said, it seems to be a very consorted effort. Throughout all the states, where just happen happenstance. Oh, we got this new bill that looks just like the Arizona bill, and looks just like the the mm-hmm. Utah and Texas bill. I mean, what the heck is going on? Yeah, and I, and there's a. It's odd to me that uh, you know, some of the statements that are that are being made, like you know, more guns wouldn't have prevented this. Look, we had 19 officers standing outside who did nothing. And somebody recently used the word they were afraid to go in because of the the death machine that he had. I don't think these people understand the majority of law enforcement carry AR-15s in their patrol cars now. Yeah, That was one of the hardest things for law enforcement to implement was getting rid of the shotguns and and get into the AR platform um, because of the, the versatility of that particular tool. And that's all it is. It's just a tool. Mm-hmm. Um, and to create the training that goes on behind you know, they saw one or two instances nationwide of police uh, acting in a manner that they didn't understand. And um, and there's there's some actual, you know, cases of like just abuse. OK, I mean, it, it's one of the hardest jobs to get. It's one of the easiest ones to lose. And nobody hates bad cops more than more than cops. Um, but their answer to that is, well, let's remove the funding. It's like, hold on a second. Like, this is a training issue. You know, if somebody grabs the wrong tool off of their belt and uses it, and clearly in a specific instance I'm thinking of right now with a female that grabbed her firearm instead of her taser, you can tell that she had no idea what it was that she had in her hand. That is a training issue. So they're going to need more funding to go back and have these people come in during their off time when they're not out patrolling to put them through more scenarios like that one where they have to practice grabbing the right tool under stress using it appropriately uh, to, to weed out and ensure that, you know, they've, they've uh, trained through that particular problem. Um, 
and taking away the funding is like the very last thing you want to do. And now we see the repercussions of that. We see states like Oregon and we see um, states that have recently been in the news like New York mm-hmm. that are suffering. And recruitment for law enforcement is at an all-time low right now. It's down 30% across the United States. A lot of uh, people who actually are employed with law enforcement just trying to write out their retirement, um, you know, don't feel like they have the support of their community. They don't feel like they have the support of their locally elected officials. And so when they see somebody that's committing a criminal act, they're second guessing whether or not they should, in fact, get intervene or get involved. Because how will this how will I be portrayed uh, tomorrow in front of the news media that, oh, this officer, you know, he gunned down this just mentally disturbed student in Texas mm-hmm. um, use this dangerous, scary AR 15 on this child. They, I mean, that's a factor that we need to look at. That's, that's a huge factor that we need to look at and we need to, we need to change our behaviors and we need to change our thinking altogether. And we, yeah, you know, the talking points just need to quit. We need to, we need to attack those talking points and people need to start educating their friends and neighbors and quit being afraid to speak up. I think a lot of people are afraid to say anything because they're like, well, I'm going to be labeled a sexist or a terrorist or uh, an extremist. Um, you know, we saw the FBI investigating um, uh, t- parents going to um, school meetings uh, during the COVID crisis because they wanted to speak up against what they felt wasn't necessary for their kids. Um, we had a, a school superintendent or principal collecting parent information here in Arizona that I mean just crazy stuff man crazy stuff Jeez. I mean one thing that you might be able to speak on more than anybody is that I sort of seem or it seems to me rather just looking at this whole thing is that we're seeing a divide not only in the country but what's really causing me a little worry is I think we're seeing the divide in the military and in the police and in those people that should be the people there to help and protect and serve and all that good stuff. But I'm kind of worried, especially just based on what you just said as well. Are we seeing that sort of divide between, I don't know how to term it, except like the old school God, family, country, bill of rights, constitution, and sort of the new school where they're either they're afraid to do, or they've really just been so indoctrinated by the, the cult of academia and, and these sort of woke individuals as their COs or as their commanding officers that we're seeing that sort of divide. I don't know. I mean, I hope not, but I, I kind of fear that we are, and especially in some of the well, bigger metropolitan areas and perhaps even in the military. I don't know. Well, we're, we're attacking anything that appears to be masculine. Um, you know, and it could be a female officer that is being physically aggressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're attacking that and saying that that's not right, that that's not okay. I, I don't think people understand that there's a time to be, there's a time to talk and there's a time to fight. Okay. And, you know, when it comes to your personal defense, self-defense or, you know, the military or law enforcement having to subdue a threat, take down a threat, um, there's no rules in a fight. There's no rules in a gunfight. My job is to put you down, put you down hard, put you down fast to get the fight over. Because then we can start treating the wounded, the injured, you know, the innocent. With you still in play, I can't do any of those things. And so when we start uh, criticizing masculinity or criticizing, you know, some of these harsh terms of a gunfight or a fistfight um, and attack those individuals, yeah, what we're creating is a more docile place, okay, where cops have to go even deeper down the rabbit trail, putting their lives in danger giving them a second, third, fourth, sixth, tenth chance. Um, you know, a lot of that's department policies that are changing. Um, you know, we've we've changed military standards. Um, and there's a lot of things about the military standards that are, uh, you know, upsetting because I have two boys that are currently serving right now. Uh, mm-hmm. One's overseas. Um, and it, it makes their job tougher. Like when you're lowering PT standards so that everybody can join, then we're we're not hardening our warriors, and America has been known for a long time to produce the hardest warriors, the best trained warriors. Technology is awesome and great, but um, you know we can even look at the most recent Iraq and and Afghanistan war. Like technology only helps so much. Um, you still are fighting people who have been at war for thousands of years. These are experienced, hardened, trained 
folks. The same goes for Vietnam. Vietnam had been at war a long time before America showed up, and they had an infrastructure and a society that fully supported and endorsed their troops, which made that campaign so incredibly difficult along with a lot of, a lot of other factors. But, I mean, hmm. you know, you watch movies and stuff, and you look at the Ho Chi Minh Trail. You know, it's little dudes on bicycles and handles and all that kind of crap. Uh, you know, my dad was the one who told me, he's like, oh, yeah, that, like, weaved in and out of Cambodia. You know, we weren't allowed to go into Cambodia. He's like, but I got news for you. He's like, they had full highways underground that they could drive full-fledged tanks down. Really? Um, and we felt, yeah, oh, yeah. And he's like, so they can move an entire armored division underground. Uh, and America wasn't aware of it uh, with, uh, you know, exhaust ports and stuff uh, with air ventilation. I've never heard that um, in my life. That's crazy. Well, because they've been at war for so long, they were able to build these deep, elaborate uh, tunnels. So mm-hmm. he was, uh, he did a little bit of tunnel rat work. He was a uh, long range reconnaissance with the first uh, cavalry division and uh, uh, did a lot of fun stuff. But, you know, he, he talks it down a lot because cracks me up like all the guys i've ever met that were really serious were quiet professionals um unlike a lot of stuff that we see people talking about nowadays out there but um so yeah i really think that uh what we're seeing and the nra of course brags that they train you know the most people like 180,000 people a year or something in fire safety and that's great and they're one of the largest training organizations but i honestly believe that hollywood the media and social media are educating Americans at a far higher rate. Every single movie that you watch, are they handling the firearms properly? Are they doing the investigations properly? Is that true to life? No. And I think, honestly, that it's by design. I think that they want to dumb down America. I mean, I enjoyed The Walking Dead like everybody else, but it drove me nuts that they would pick one firearm, bring no water, bring no food, no spare magazines, and just go out on an adventure hike through Zombieland. That would never happen. (laughs) That's a good point. Every single one of their guns is fully automatic. Every single one, even though those are like the hardest ones to get a hold of here in the United States. Okay. And uh, there's a lot of places I'd pick to put my last stand. Georgia would not be one of them. Okay. No offense, Georgia. <laughs> but like there are better areas that I think would, uh, you know, better environments uh, to live off the land uh, where it's not so humid. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make my last stand in the apocalypse time. I'm, I want to pick some place different, you know. So I, I just really feel like there, we're just – if you're not educating at home, if you're not teaching our kids constitutional history uh, to, so that they actually understand our Bill of Rights, where it comes from, that's given to us at birth. Okay? We put it on paper, but it was something that was given to us at birth. And when we put it on paper, it was so we could give written directions to the federal government where they cannot tread. And just because the Supreme Court or some group has, you know, put rules and restrictions in place and altered that document doesn't mean that they're correct. Those things back in the 1930s and 1968 and 1986 need to be overturned. In my humble opinion, they haven't been challenged hard enough. Okay. We need to really look into tax law because a lot of the uh, NFA and the FFA, um, stem from tax law because uh, they passed a law that's basically we have the right to life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, right? So you have uh, the right over yourself, your own body, but we don't have a right over property. Government has mandated that they have a right over property, which is why they're able to tax your house that you already own, the land that it sits on. Mm-hmm. Um, this is why they're able to tax your cars, able to, why they're able to tax everything you ever buy, all the money you ever earn. They, there's a financial burden uh, that I don't believe Americans should have. I mean, there's been families who have had land in their name since early settlements in the 1600s that suddenly now are facing uh, having to turn it over to the federal government because they're behind on taxes that I don't think they should have to pay, in my humble opinion. But oh, so yeah, we need to go back. Fact. We need to go back and attack those ordinance. Um, just with the Federal Firearms Act, when they started saying that you had to do a $200 tax stamp to own certain firearms at that time. They wanted to try and ban, uh, they wanted to add handguns, semi-auto handguns and revolvers, and they couldn't. Uh, and why? Um, because specifically they were talking about firearms that were in uh, in use by the military, modern military weapons of the time, uh, which is why um, 
there was an argument presented for short-barreled shotguns because they shotguns were in fact used as a modern war weapon, um, and they couldn't and they couldn't uh, get pistols and, and uh, revolvers added to it. And what I found kind of neat about it was because they considered concealed carry was only done by criminals, um, <laughs> because everybody back then open carried. Mm-hmm. So the only way that would want to use a firearm that was concealed would have been a criminal. Uh, but then we see, you know, the National Firearms Act come out come out later in the 1968, and and you know the NRA really didn't get in, even get involved with starting to fight any of that stuff until until after 1968. So we we haven't we haven't challenged those original things. We haven't challenged the Supreme Court and that stuff. And I think we need to. I think we need to go back to the origin and get back to the Bill of Rights because the federal government has no authority over the Second Amendment whatsoever. And if we do it here at home uh, in the states first, uh, then, yeah, we can absolutely take control. Our state constitutions are stronger than the federal constitution. A lot of people don't realize that. Okay? Absolutely. Fortunately for Arizona, Arizona, we have a really strong state constitution, and I'm really looking forward to uh, putting the pressure on this. I mean, I think that's a great point because there's so many of those those little bits of legislation that get lost in history and lost in the shuffle. I mean, I always go back to Woodrow Wilson as being one of the worst. He brought us the income tax and the Federal Reserve and all kinds of stuff. But, you know, it's so sad because in the history books, it's all, all great, good old, good old Woodrow Wilson and good old FDR and good old LBJ. And I'm like, man, these people are dreadful communists that destroyed this nation. <laughs> like. Well, I mean, if you look at, okay, let's talk about school shootings for a moment, right? Yeah. When were guns banned from school campus in the 90s? Because that mm-hmm. was around the time that we started, um, prior to the 90s, we didn't have concealed carry weapons permits. Why not? Because everybody opened carried, okay? But mm-hmm. open carry was no longer becoming um, keen with society, so we started creating, well, you know what, you can do it if you have a permit. Okay, which, you know, there shouldn't be a permit. You know, Arizona is one of the first states became constitutional carry in 2010. And many states have followed since. I think we're up to like 18 states now that are constitutional carry. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's interesting that we didn't have a concealed carry, you know, permit until the 90s. And then all of a sudden we have the federal government saying, well, you can't carry on school campus unless your state has a CCW and they allow it. Okay, so here in Arizona, we have CCWs and our state actually does in fact allow it with the school's permission. So now we have to convince schools that it's it's allowed. So with that passage, suddenly we see a rise in shootings on school campus. Prior to 1991, how many school shootings do we have on campus? Five or six total the most, in our yeah. 200 years of history. And so really when I'm when I start talking about Faster Saves Lives, which is a school program designed, you know, not just for schools but also for churches because some of them have schools in it, but it's a it's a uh, you know, most active shootings were over within two minutes. So if there's already somebody there who already carries, who already trains, and they voluntarily want to carry a firearm, why are we telling them they're not allowed to? We're violating their constitutional rights and saying, no, you can't carry at work just because it so happens to be a school. That's nonsense. Mm-hmm. That's nonsense because anytime this stuff, you know, happens, it happens at places where we've restricted or banned firearms. It happens where... Criminals know when they show up, they've got an infinite time frame or, you know, whatever the response time is from local law enforcement before anybody can stop them. And there's been so many instances where there's a person who was armed, who was trained, who was on campus that did stop it that goes widely unreported. And we advertise. That's the sick thing. We put a big sign up front that says gun free school zone. And we don't just do it at schools. Like we do it at shopping malls. Yeah. We do, you know, private entities put up signs. And I find it fascinating that when I go and talk to, like here in Arizona, big things like restaurants, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, when we passed the legislation back in 2010, it was the the wording was restaurants that serve alcohol for consumption. Okay, so if I go to Olive Garden or Red Robin or something, they serve alcohol. You know, even mm-hmm. Chipotle's, right? They serve alcohol. Um, and Arizona's always had uh, a ban on firearms with any establishment that serves alcohol. But in those instances, look, I, I just want to eat with my family. I'm not drinking. Yeah. If I drink while in possession of a gun, I'm still breaking a law. So I, if I go there, I can't drink. But I don't want to leave my firearm in the car because that's not a good solution. And I don't want to go all the way from home to there unarmed because that's not a good solution. Um, so this now finally allows me to go in and sit down and eat with my family. But some of these establishments put up their no trespassing sign, no firearm sign. And I asked the owner, I said, hey, why do you have that? He said, well, we don't want guns in here. 
I said, do you, but do you realize that that only bans law enforcement and anybody with a CCW, right? And they're just astounded. They're like, I didn't, I, what do you mean? I go, well, criminals aren't going to look at the sign. So it's only law-abiding people, and the only law-abiding people that are allowed to come in here are people that have a CCW that keep it concealed and law enforcement that are on duty. They're not going to come in here and have lunch if you have that sign on there because it's a, it, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a misdemeanor, but it's a weapons violation. It could cost them their job. Yeah. And immediately, every time I start educating restaurants, they take it down. So that's one of my, my big pet peeves is when I go to restaurants and I see that sign, I educate the owner. And inevitably, I've, I have 100% they take the sign down. I've not had one restaurant not do it yet, which I find fascinating. I mean, I'm, it's amazing. your private property. I'm not going to tell you what to do. But, you know, here's my resume. And I like to come eat here with my family. And I want to say that a lot of folks who, you know, recognize and, and see that sign, they're not going to break the law either. They don't want to come here. So it's up to you what you want to do. But inevitably, they all take the sign down. That's a good point. It's the same thing here in North Carolina where you can't uh, bring in any kind of firearm, any place that sells alcohol. So it's the same thing here. That's a good point. I need need to start taking the helm here and doing that same thing. Yeah, I mean, I know some guys that put it on a business card, some really well-worded speech. um, But I I really like the the handshake conversation. Can I meet the owner? Can I get the owner's information and talk to him on a personal level? Say, hey, listen, I understand it's your private property and – you know, my, my family were huge fans of your restaurant and the food is amazing. Let me tell you, um, you know, I like to go there probably once or twice a month with my family. Here's what I do as a full-time job. And I noticed when I was there the other day that I saw this sign. So I, you know, I did the honorable thing and I left my firearm in the car and, you know, I, I wanted to let you know, here's what the rules are in Arizona. And so police officers can't come there for lunch. You know, is that what you wanted the sign to do? Did you want to tell you don't want cops to come eat lunch there? No, that's not what I wanted. I said, okay. And I said, knowing my experience, my background, what I do for a living, training churches, schools, private security, contractors, law enforcement, military, did you want me to leave my gun in the car? Oh, absolutely not. Okay. What would you like to do? What? I think I want to get rid of that sign. Okay. Because criminals don't care. Yeah. Uh, I have a, I, I have a, uh, a buddy of mine to confer with um, who's been working with Phoenix PD for 20 years, military for 20 years. Uh, we went to high school together, and I, I contacted him and said, hey, give, give me a list of all the statutes that this guy in Texas would be charged with here in Arizona. Um, and obviously there's 21 counts of first-degree murder, but there's six other laws, and we're not going into the fringes because uh, I was like, you know, we could go into the fringes. Um, but six other laws, he's like, I think that these are the six that would definitely – we would definitely charge him with. So here we have 21 counts of first degree murder plus six other statutes that this guy violated. Like what more laws can you pass? You want to, he, he passed two background checks. So the background check thing doesn't work. The South Carolina shooter passed a background check um, and was somebody who was actually charged with a felony before in the past. Mm-hmm. So the FBI doesn't, doesn't do their job. Um, I think there's more we can do as far as reporting mental health issues. I absolutely think we can do that. I think a lot of local law enforcement agencies haven't been doing their job uh, reporting mental health, reporting domestic violence, that one of the Texas shooters uh, on the military base had a domestic violence background, should have been a prohibited possessor, didn't prevent him from getting a a firearm, and uh, ended up shooting up the military base. Mm -hmm. I mean, we just see time and time again where the federal government lets the American people down. They don't enforce the laws that they already have on the books. They release criminals that have already been charged with violent felonies, and they've done nothing to stop the illegal uh, transfer of firearms over and over again. They themselves have illegally transferred firearms to um, the drug cartels south of the border. There's been no accountability for that whatsoever. That has cost Arizona citizens their lives. That's cost us Border Patrol agents' lives. We had gun... uh, Gun stores here in Arizona that contacted the ATF and said, hey, look, this guy wants to buy these firearms in large quantities, and we think this is super highly suspicious, and we don't want to do it. We're going to tell him no, but we want to give you a heads up that we're doing this. And the ATF said, no, we're monitoring those individuals. You go ahead and do that firearm transaction. We want them to have those guns. It was part of the fact and investigation. So 
And none of this gets out in the public media. Nobody knows any of this sort of stuff. And it is just ridiculous. And, I mean, if you're not angry, if you're not balled up saying, you know, what do we need to do? First and foremost is you've got to fix your house before you can complain at somebody else's house. So I really think that your first focus as an American citizen is to get your family in order and mm -hmm. really focus on your children and making them the best Americans that you can, you can make them be. Second of that is start taking control of your state. Get involved in your school boards. Start getting involved in elections. Start getting involved in your local state representatives and put the feet to the flame and let them know, here's where I stand on these things, and you're representing me, so you better, you better do that when you get there because these are the things that need to get changed. And then once we have control of our states, then we can go after fixing the feds. And it has to happen in that order. Man, that's spot on. That's kind of what's going to be my closing question here is what would you recommend? And you kind of already talked about it, but, you know, the average John Q. Pub public or Jane Q. Public that's listening to this going, okay, what should I do? You know, I got a two kids and a dog and white picket fence, but they're not prepared. They don't have any firearms. They don't have any training. Or, you know, you kind of just said it, though. Their house is not quite in order. But, you know, what would you recommend just the average person doing to uh, kind of start getting their uh, wagons in a circle? I always tell people, get your get your family together, you know, get your circle up your own wagons before you start following somebody else's. But what do you think? Well, I think I think first and foremost that you need to challenge education and not everybody else's challenge your own. Um, so do your research and get educated in the topics that you're talking about, become qualified in talking about those topics. Um, don't just repeat what it is that you hear. You need to search far and wide and truly understand the second amendment, the bill of rights and its purpose or intent. Um, I think that you Definitely need to be, like I said, be more involved with your kids, be more involved at your your house, but be involved in your community and look for those other kids. Those other kids that are coming to your house, hanging out with your kids that come from broken homes, et cetera, make them part of your family. Like, I, I literally adopt every kid they drag into the house, Yeah, you know, and, and become a, a sounding board for them because uh, they don't have that same relationship with their parents. I'm like, you know, hey, you can, you can talk to us. We're totally down for that. And um, so yeah, I, I literally adopt all the neighbor kids. I can't tell you how much candy I've bought for how many school functions, <laughs> um, over the years. And, uh, uh, you know, we've been trying the, the, the gun law, the gun confiscation, the gun restriction. We've been trying that for the last 20 years in a country that's never had any of that stuff. And I think we've proven this social experiment of limitations and restrictions is failing because the problem just keeps getting worse. And we can look to states like California and Illinois and D.C. and New York who are suffering the greatest crime wave in U.S. history and see that none of those things work. Illinois, I mean, Chicago, one city, one city had 50 deaths again last weekend. So we can't keep looking to government to provide the solutions. Government is not the solution. They are, in fact, the problem. And America was founded on the principle that less government is better. And we need to get back to that same principle. Um, so that's, that's just like where I'm at. I think I've pretty much laid out my plan is fix your home, fix your state. If you expect to see any results anywhere else and, uh, Stop being silent. You know, you you just can't sit on the sidelines and let people steamroll you and let their narrative be out there if that's not what you believe. Yeah, we got to stand up. All of us have to actually stand up and be counted and kind of not be afraid to speak up at the at the holiday function or at the grocery store or whatever, because we've all had those times where we're like, man, I should probably just <laughs> I should probably just not say what's really on my mind. But, you know, sometimes you got to. I mean, and don't be harsh about it. I mean, obviously, you're going to fly swat and, you know, throw a lot of swear words and stuff in there. <laughs> of course not, yeah. You know, that's that's going to have the exact opposite effect. That's going to cause more people to have closed ears. I think um, the women's movement especially is super valuable because it's changing homes, you know. Um, 
I think they are a much needed voice in this industry that's been male dominated for a long time. I think that they're going to help change generations of Second Amendment supporters. And so I, I, I think anything we can do to help support them. Um, I think that anybody who's working to help harden schools and make them safer, and I understand there's a lot of people that think that guns are not the answer. And um, there may be a school where there, it's entirely anti-gun teachers. So the last thing I want to do is force it upon them. So let's look at school resource officers. Let's look at uh, some sort of security program. Let's look at trying to find the funding that they need for those things. Um, you know, I know that if my if my child's school teacher came to me and said, hey, Dave, what can I do to fix my classroom? Like there's a $500 deadbolt you can put at the, the bottom of the door that basically you just step on it. I mean, like a six-year-old can step on it mm-hmm. and deadbolt that door. And I mean, it, you're not getting SWAT teams can't get through that door, that deadbolt. Hmm. Okay, so we can we can do some really and I would pay for that. I would pay for that. I could probably afford to do 10 classrooms a month, you know? So like if the whole school needed it, like I would raise funds and I'd make that happen. What does the school want to harden their structure? You know, creating double door entrances with magnetic door locks. So the person has to get through the first one, first set of doors first, they get magnetically sealed behind. You get to take their picture. You can talk to them, ask them who they are before you let them through the next set of interior doors that are magnetically controlled. Okay. What's wrong with doing that? Okay. So that's, uh, you know, you got three or four entrances, fantastic. You can control all of that from one secretary's desk and prevent people from just being able to walk onto campus and wreak havoc, okay? And every campus is different, so it's not like one solution fixes them all. We have to look at the campuses individually, and I think parents are the place to start. But there's a million ways. Just like your house has door locks, cameras, alarm systems, dogs, whatever, and you lock your doors and windows, same thing happens at school. We can harden the structure, um, and we need to help support the programs that are involved with that. You know, the programs like FASTER. They provide valuable, life-saving, first aid, CPR, TCCC, medicine, along with a firearms component where they have to pass a higher standard than local law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Okay? Truly believe in that. Truly do. Uh, and we're talking about dedicated people that are going to lay over children's bodies to protect them from dying anyway. Why not give them the the ultimate tool in self-defense? And I mean, I know I've talked to so many veterans that have echoed this point, but there's so many veterans out there that have told me point blank, like, yo, I will volunteer. I will show up at the school. You know, I mean, there's they're all over this country. And these are men and women that have fought, served, been injured, laid it all on the line. And they're saying we're here. We're right down the street. Just give us a word and we will volunteer our time for nothing just to come you know, walk around the school, sort of back up that resource officer just to be another another hands on deck, so to speak. Yep. There's a lot of retired veterans that are school teachers yeah. um, who are I mean, we've told them they're not allowed to carry. I would volunteer one day a week at my child's school. Um, and I, I know a lot of other guys that would. It's like, hey, look, I'll, I'll volunteer. And again, it goes, I mean, because police work is is so, so different. You know, the school resource officer program deals a lot with, you know, we want you to be more than just a police officer. We also want you to be outgoing, yeah. friendly. We want you to be kind of like a counselor because kids are going to report problems to you. You know, you're not really here to crack skulls and, and enforce the law. We want you to be, you know, a, a different kind of police. Um, and I totally get that. But there's probably a lot of other more qualified people uh, in that realm, people with a counseling background or a spiritual background who, oh, incidentally, also happen to carry and train, you know, like crazy. Um, so, you know, I, I think America just needs to not lose hope. Uh, I also believe that faith without works is dead. So if you're just like, well, you know, God's going to come rescue us soon, <laughs> knock that off. Yeah. Okay. That's true. Um, it requires your involvement. And, you know, you need to knock the dust off and roll your sleeves up and you're going to lose some sleep. You're going to have to put in some hours and sucks. I'm sorry for you, but this is a country that you actually have to fight for. You have to put in the work. So let's start putting in the work and quit complaining about it. Start pointing the other side. Let's do the work. Let's hold everybody accountable. Absolutely, David. Well, it was such a pleasure talking with you today, and we hadn't really touched on your armed Republic radio at all, but tell everybody what's the best way they can find you, how can they follow you, and if they're in Arizona, they can go to Dynamic Combat Solutions and actually uh, take some classes, I'm thinking, right? 
Oh yeah, absolutely. So yeah, if you're if you're looking for me, then you can look up on uh, Facebook, Dynamic Combative Solutions. You can also check out Armed Republic Radio. It's also on Facebook. Um, and then if you want to go to our website, it's dcs.training. And uh, the Armed Republic Radio, basically, I started because I want to be able to get into rants like this. So if you guys want to hear some more rants like this, I've got some uh, neat guests lined up, local leaders who are running for office, uh, as well as uh, some problem solvers here at our local uh, level, so you guys can find out what Arizona is doing. Uh, and you can check us out on YouTube at Armed Republic Radio uh, on YouTube. So, and we'll be expanding to more platforms soon. I'm just uh, working out the kinks with all this new equipment that I've invested a, a ton of money in. So, as I'm sure you know. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, if you'll stick around for about a second, I'll close things up here and uh, say goodbye to you off the air. All right, sounds good. All right, thank you. Well, folks, if you missed all that, fear not. You can go to anomicage.com. You can find the whole video and the audio from today's show, as well as so many others. So I encourage you to do that. As I always say, you can't do everything, but you can do something. So try to get out there and do your part and make that difference. Till next time, be safe out there, and I'll be seeing you sooner than later in the Anomic Age. Thank you for listening to The Anomic Age, a John Age project. For past shows, further info, and to comment, go to anomicage.com. That's A-N-O-M-I-C-A-G-E.com. Till next time, thank you for listening to The Anomic Age. I'm going to go to the next one.